Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Friday. It's May 5th. It's a game day for the Phoenix Suns. We'll certainly get into much more about what to expect from Phoenix as they're down 0-2 to the Nuggets looking to give it a pivotal game three tonight. We also have plenty of NFL topics to get into. The Kentucky Derby is tomorrow, so we'll preview that with our guy Sean Alvarez around 11.15 for him. Nate Davis, a conversation with him. USA Today, NFL talk around 10.15. It is just a solo mission today. Bob Kemp having a scheduled appointment. He'll be back on Monday. But as we typically do, let's get things started with the poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Do the Suns win game three Friday night versus the Nuggets? The masses so far are on the yes side of things at 60% of the vote. No trailing at 40%. We'll answer this question in totality around 1130 today. Still time for you to cast your vote. Flipping it on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. So I was watching... Watching this documentary, the countdown uh, to 100 days to the Indy 500, it's on the CW. I am now officially one episode behind, but I saw the very first one and it made me think about uh, the Indianapolis 500, all the pageantry that is surrounding that particular event. Uh, Then you also have the Kentucky Derby tomorrow, the pageantry that goes on at that event, and of course, all of the hats. So which one would you like to attend uh, these two events? taking place in the month of May. So of the main of the non-mainstream sports happening in May, which would you most like to attend? And the masses so far are on the Kentucky Derby side of things at 87.5%, Indianapolis 500 at 12.5%. This is on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Honestly, a little surprise so far that uh, so many people are on the Kentucky Derby side. So we'll see how that goes as we answer it around 1130 today. As I mentioned, NFL discussion, Nate Davis, USA Today, 10-15 today. The Kentucky Derby conversation, Sean Alvarez at 11-15. You didn't think I would forget, did you, that today is Friday? So that means it's a Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. The $100 gift certificate available to you, but not right now. First of all, the weekend specials, 8-ounce Average Butcher's Blend Steak Skewers at two for $15. Prime Pork Back Ribs at $6.99 a pound. And the Jumbo Fresh Party Style Cut Chicken Wings at $4.99 a pound. Visit our friends Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. And visit them online as well at vonhansensmeats.net. Let's take a second and go back to last night with the Golden State's Warriors taking care of business against the Los Angeles Lakers, 127 to 100. We had this conversation yesterday on the program about what we thought would happen for the Lakers and the Warriors contest. Both Bob and I thought that the Warriors would be able to take care of business. 
They certainly did. I didn't think it would be this uncompetitive, though. Uh, Certainly, you had Clay Thompson finding his rhythm, 30 points, 11 of 18, 8 of 11 from 3. Steph Curry... He was uh, he still got 20 points. He was still efficient. Seven of 12. They uh, tried to minimize his effect and his ability uh, as a shooter. So what did he do? 12 assists. He found ways to impact the game. The also the other thing that we had discussed, what adjustments were the Warriors going to make? There was no way that Steve Kerr was going to go into game two with the exact same strategy of game one. I don't know if this was out of necessity because it was reported that Kavon Looney wasn't feeling well or if Steve Kerr kind of had the inclination to do this anyway and it just kind of all coincided together. But Steve Kerr ended up going with Jamichael Green to start the game and he rewarded him with 15 points in 13 minutes. Looney did play 12 minutes and there was a lot of Dante DiVincenzo uh, who saw 28 minutes worth of action here. A little bit of that as well because of this, the the garbage time in the fourth quarter. But trying to go small, trying to change things up and neutralize the length of the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, LeBron, he had an aggressive start. 14 of his 23 points came in the first quarter. That's the first time that that's happened where he's had at minimum a 10-point first quarter these playoffs so far. Anthony Davis, though. I'm perplexed. I'm sure you're perplexed as well because he has all the tools, all the talent, all the size to just dominate game after game. And yet we're continuing to see just a lot of inconsistency in these playoffs. We saw it against the Grizzlies when he had a monster game. The very next game was kind of invisible. And that's what happened again last night for Anthony Davis. 5 of 11, 11 points, 7 rebounds. The lackluster performances have been just really curious. Unable to string two games in a row together. So I want to take a step back and say, okay, he has suffered a lot of injuries throughout his career. So... Can it be related to just the fact that the physicality of the 44 minutes from game one, the necessary uh, decision that Darvin Ham had to make in game one to make sure they got that victory, kind of put Anthony Davis uh, at a disadvantage for game two? I want to make sure that I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that that's a potential factor into his inconsistencies. You also have to give credit to the Warriors that they made adjustments to. They weren't letting uh, Anthony Davis just completely live at the rim, dominate around the hoop. They were pulling him away from the basket. But those are shots that Anthony Davis is capable of hitting. He just really seemed to be quite lethargic and had no energy. And again, this I'm not just coming at this from game one to game two in this particular series. We saw it in the Memphis series as well. So in order for the Lakers to win, Anthony Davis has to be good. Like LeBron James is LeBron James. Obviously, when you are Dylan Brooks and you poke the bear, you see what happens for LeBron. He can still turn it on. But this isn't LeBron's team per se. This is Anthony Davis's team. This is his team to take the Lakers to where they need to go. So he needs to be consistent night in and night out in order for the Lakers to have success. 
All in all, though, they probably have to feel pretty good that it's all tied up 1-1 heading back to Los Angeles. Uh, getting, getting that game won, they had the necessary rest. The Warriors didn't. So we kind of thought that this was going to happen last night. It did. All tied up 1-1. They'll play again on Saturday. As it currently stood this morning on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, Warriors plus 3.5, Lakers minus 3.5. That contest gets underway on Saturday at 5.30 p.m. Just kind of taking a look at where things stand so far in the NBA playoffs. You have the Celtics and the 76ers all tied up at one apiece. The Knicks and the Heat all tied up one apiece where the the Knicks were kind of trying to lose that game to the Heat without Jimmy Butler. That would have been, oh, I think, probably devastating for New York fans if that ended up unfolding. The Lakers and Warriors as well all tied up 1-1. And the Nuggets and the Suns, Nuggets up 2-0. We'll, of course, get into this contest much more in today's program. Also, uh, on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, just a current look at NBA championship odds. Celtics plus 165. The Nuggets maybe getting a little love and respect here at plus 320. The Warriors at plus 600. The Lakers plus 650. The 76ers plus 700. And the Suns at 15 to 1. As I mentioned, plenty more NBA conversation. There's two games today including the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. There's also some Pac-12. I don't know, is it news? Do we do we know what's going on with the media rights? We'll try to make sense of it all in the latest reporting from this week. We'll have NFL conversation, Kentucky Derby conversation, your your poll question answers. Plenty coming up, plus the $100 gift certificate from Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Be sure to visit them, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. On the other side of the break, though, it's Nate Davis, USA Today. Let's get his opinions on the NFL draft. There's also free agents. Now that teams have drafted, where do some of these free agents end up? Plenty of NFL talk with Nate Davis coming up on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. NFL talk coming up now as we head on out to the KDOS hotline. Nate Davis with USA Today set to join us. Nate, appreciate the time on the show as always. How are you? Good, How are you? Doing pretty well. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. I, I can't, you know, move on to any other topic unless I get your perception on the Arizona Cardinals draft. I think for me, the best part about it was getting Houston's 2024 first round pick next year, addressing some positional needs this season, but maybe also really embracing this longer process to turn this team around. So how do you view this draft for first time general manager Monty Austinfort? Yeah, I think he pretty much got it. I mean, he, he turned his, his current top picks into in more picks for next year. Like like you said, that, that 24, 24 first-rounder. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of suspect that if he hadn't gotten the deal at number three, he might have taken Paris Johnson there um, anyway. So to be able to go down and come back up to six and, and get, you know, I, I think a guy that he clearly wanted to play guard, to play tackle, I think will end up being, you know, the uh, 
left tackle, even if you do Humphreys has to, has to switch over the right side at some point. Um, you know, good player. I mean, obviously there's going to be a mandate to take take care of Kyler Murray as he recovers. Um, he should be a fun guy to cover you know, out, out there. I think he speaks Mandarin and Portuguese, so kind of a fascinating guy. Um, but, but you know, to get a, to get a blue chip player, um, get some other pieces that hopefully help you, uh, kind of with an eye towards 2024. Um, and, you know, you, we, we know that that division is going to require you to be on top of your game and have a loaded roster. So I think that they're, you know, they're doing what they need to do to kind of get back to where they want to be. I heard you just say that uh, Paris Johnson Jr. probably playing left tackle, flipping DJ Humphreys to right tackle. Is that, uh, you know, just kind of the perception of what you think is going to happen? Or do you think that Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, is really capable of playing left tackle? No, I think I mean that's mostly what he did at Ohio State. You know, he played guard there I think a year ago, but he spent all of last season at left tackle uh, opposite Dewan Jones, their 380-pound right tackle. So I mean, the nice thing about Paris is that he gives you you know position flexibility. Um, but you know, I just think long term, he's probably a bit of an upgrade over DJ Humphreys, and certainly you know he's got I think he's, he's seven years younger. So I think I think the writing is on on the wall there. Um, but he, he does give you options. I mean, if you want to stick with, with DJ Humphrey and Kelvin Beecham as your tackles in 2023 and let Paris Johnson play uh, play guard, that's fine. But I don't, I don't think you're taking a guy at number six uh, to play right guard for you. Nate Davis, NFL with USA Today here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So the video comes out where the Lions and the, the, the brass there unbelievably excited to get running back Jameer Gibbs, took him with the 12th overall pick. The team brought in David Montgomery in free agency and then during the draft sent DeAndre Swift to the Eagles. So with all of the Lions picks, all that they had, uh, and this seemingly almost open nature to the NFC North, did the Lions do enough to improve? They, they definitely improved. I think just the, kind of the question is, is you know, or, or the perception is, is kind of that they get value um, at the picks. And I, I think, I think you know, Jameer Gibbs is, is hard to quibble with because I think I think somebody was probably going to take him um, if, if they didn't take him at 12. I mean, it does, it does kind of beg kind of the question, if you like Jameer Gibbs at 12, why don't you stay at number six and take B. John Robinson? But you know, clearly they've got a plan there. Um, the Jack Campbell pick at 18 is hard to square, but – I think if you had Jack Campbell in the, in the third round and Hendon Hooker in the first round, I'm not sure anybody would have blinked. So if you, if you kind of look at the overall group of players they got, um, yeah, I, th- I think they upgrade. I think that they're probably going to be, you know, the, the, the widely perceived favorites um, this year in the NFC North, and, and, and deservedly so. Um, but, you know, again, I think it's just kind of a weird draft for them, but I think at the end of the day, definitely they're a better team. The Chargers ended up taking Quentin Johnston at wide receiver in the first round. It had Chargers fans a little upset that they went this route as opposed to Zay Flowers, who was still on the board. But looking at this broadly, does this pick of Johnston seem to suggest that Keenan Allen's last year will be uh, this year with the Chargers? Well, I think Keenan's Allen contract just is going to be his last year with the Chargers. I mean, I think he's got a base salary this year of like a million and a half, somewhere in that range. Uh, and then it goes up to seventeen million dollars, I think, or somewhere in that range next year. So, you know, Keenan Allen's contract the way it's now structured clearly clearly points to this being his last year there. Um, and he's had injury issues, as, as has Mike Williams. And I, I think the Chargers kind of prefer you know the, the, the bigger guys. You know, certainly Mike Williams is more of that power forward um, kind of receiver. I think you know, Quentin Johnson is a bit of that. Uh, he, he does stretch the field uh, as well. Um, so I think he'll be a nice player. I mean, I mean, Zay Flowers is just is just a different. Um, flavor of receiver, but clearly, you know they prefer Johnson with, with Flowers on the board, uh, and that's 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 the direction um, that they went. But 
uh, if, if you just kind of, you know, look at Lincoln, follow the money, Taylor. You know, following the money is always the way to go. I think I think that tells you right there the team now, and he's, he's probably got one more year with, with them, um, you know, bargain restructure or pay cut. Chatting here with Nate Davis, NFL Conversation. He's coming to us from USA Today. So the Titans, they end up with Will Levis after he slid into day two. This now happens to be the second year in a row that the Titans have drafted a quarterback and Ryan Tannehill will be facing someone coming after his job. Doesn't look like the Malik Willis thing is going to pan out. So should Tannehill be more worried here about Levis? I think that, yes, probably you know, you had you had a new general manager in Rand Carthon take Levis and Malik Willis uh, was the pick of the previous you know front office. So uh, again, that kind of tells you where, where that stands, um, and also just the fact that you know the Titans were, were you know in the mix for for the AFC South late last season. Tannehill was hurt, uh, and they didn't play Malik Willis. I mean, they went with Josh Dobbs. So I don't think it ever started the game at that point in his his kind of parapetic career. So. Um, I think Malik Willis is probably going to be looking for a job elsewhere fairly soon. Uh, and, and this kind of lets you know where, where they're headed. But, you know, it should be a good camp battle. But, I mean, again, this, this is probably Ryan Tannehill's last year with the team. I think they've kind of been pointing towards a reset here for two years now. Um, you know, I, I still kind of wonder if at some point maybe Derrick Henry gets traded either, you know, in the next couple months or the trade deadline or whatever. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, that's obviously the whole division is in a bit of upheaval with the exception of Jacksonville. Um, and the Titans right, right there with them. We talked a lot about Sean Payton going to Denver, but now that he's actually there, the draft has happened. I, I don't know. The conversations surrounding the Broncos have kind of subsided to the mania level that it was before he went there. With the limited picks that they had, how Denver do, and does it matter if Russell Wilson's play can't improve? Well, it matters because I think Russell Wilson's contract definitely indicates to you that they, can't, they really can't get rid of him for another two years. And I think part of the reason Sean Payton's going in there is just to fix that mess. Um, obviously, he's got a track record uh, coaching uh, a shorter quarterback with Drew Brees. And not not, not same, same players, of course, but certainly some, some similarities. Uh, and Sean Payton's just obviously has, has you know, many pulse in the wall as a head coach. And Nathaniel Hackett didn't. You know, what? how much of that was his fault? I mean, to a degree, certainly parts of it were. I also think to a degree he was, he was the fall guy for a failed season last year. But, um, you know, they, they didn't get a whole lot of the draft, like you said. I mean, Drew Sanders, you know, the player that can do things as, as his Mims. They've also got some flaws, but I, I think I think this is going to be a season of resetting both, you know, schematically, culturally, all that stuff, and, and you know, getting getting Russell Wilson at least near to his, his previous level of play, uh, with maybe with an eye that, that they're back as a team we, we regard as a contender in 2024. Flipping this back to the NFC West, I thought the Seahawks had a great first day of the draft. You combine that with what they did in the offseason, bringing back Bobby Wagner, signing Devin Bush, the production that they ended up getting out of their rookies last season. Uh, does this have them poised to make a run in the NFC West this year? Do you think that they could surpass the 49ers? They could. I mean, we, we all kind of know that you know we'll kind of see what happens to quarterback with the 49ers. Um, frankly, I'm fascinated to see you know, if maybe Kyle Shanahan really gets something special out of Trey Lance um, or Sam Donald, given, you know, the, the talents both of those guys have. And, 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 you know, Sam Donald's never really had this level of supporting cast. Trey Lance hasn't really had an opportunity. Um, could, could actually get coached up by Kyle Shanahan and having the full season make those guys look like better options than Brock Purdy. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. But, I mean, I do think that they're probably the prohibitive favorite. Um, that doesn't mean that the Seahawks can't. You know, can't overtake them. I mean, they they were 
clearly, you know, while they got they got swept by San Francisco last season in decisive fashion, so they've got some catching up to do. But like you said, you know, maybe they have. Um, defense looks better. I mean, they they really had a great draft almost almost top to bottom. So I love I love what they're doing. Um, the other question is, can Geno Smith kind of sustain what he started last year? Um, we'll find out. But I think the Seahawks are very arguably a top four team, and what we all think is a weakened NFC. So even if they don't win. Of the division, I think they're going to be you know, a team that, that could certainly be knocking on the door to play in the NFC Championship game. Nate Davis, Biff USA Today right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, now that the draft has come and gone, there are some free agents that haven't signed anywhere just yet. Uh, we were talking about Robbie Gould yesterday. His time in San Francisco has come to an end. He is 40 years old, but uh, he has always been so consistent throughout his career. So is there a team that could certainly use his services? Yeah, Robbie Gould's never missed a kick in the playoffs. Crazy. He's missed uh, 68. He's, he's hit 68 in a row between field goals and extra points. So I, I can't. I can't believe he's going to be out there for long. And I think. I mean, heck, we all saw what happened with the Cowboys kicking game in the playoffs last year, uh, and, and they they haven't fixed that yet. I mean, I can't think of a better marriage than, than the Cowboys uh, and Robbie Gould in terms of uh, of fit, need, uh, and, and money available. So I, that, that's that's what I'm looking at. Uh, yeah, you're definitely right about the Cowboy kicking woes last playoff uh, season there. Speaking of another former Cowboy running back, Ezekiel Elliott, then you also have running back Leonard Fournette. Uh, what teams might be interested in their services? Zeke is clearly not the same back that he was when he first got into the league, but do you think there is still some value left in uh, his game for a team to pick him up? I, mean, I think the most valuable for him is, is for he and the Cowboys to get to make up. Uh, and you know, Jerry Jones has left that door open. Um, but I mean, he and Tony Pollard are, are really a very good tandem. Complement each other well. You know, Tony Pollard is the explosive guy that excellent the passing game, uh, breaks off the big games. Zeke is a guy that you know you get inside the five, he's going to find uh, the end zone for you. And he's also going to, I mean, he'll do he'll do third and short, um, good in pass protection. So I, I don't know that he has more value to any other team than he does to Dallas. So I think if they can. Get back together, you know, figure out the money, um, and, and you know he he wasn't worth what he was going to get paid this year, so it's understandable why Dallas cut him. Uh, but but I think those, those two sides should really figure out a way to, to get back together. And one point that you know I'm, I'm guessing he's a guy that might hang out for a while. You know, maybe one of those ways to see uh, if, if uh, an injury happens or if it's, or if it's a contender comes calling that, that you know he's willing to play for. Um, I mean, I don't think people realize you know there's always this criticism of Leonard Fournette's hands. He's got 140 passes over the last two seasons, so he's developed into a guy who can be your third down back. Um, only 28 years old. Uh, I think it's got to be the right fit for him uh, and, and on both sides, but I think he can bring value somewhere uh, for a team that's looking for like, one more piece to fill off the depth chart. The Chiefs made the decision to release uh, Frank Clark. He's 30, going into his eighth NFL season. Would you put him in the category of like a Von Miller and how he went to the Bills, or would you consider him a step below that uh, in, in terms of production that he still has left in the tank? No, I'd probably consider him two steps below Von Miller. Frank, Frank Clark hasn't really been all that productive player uh, in the regular season, really since he came to Kansas City. He, he had like a good year or two. Uh, kind of some of those those Pro Bowls that maybe weren't necessarily deserved and are more on name. But I think what you're getting with Frank Clark is a guy that really steps up um, his game in the postseason. Uh, and you know, if you're, if you're you can never have enough pass rushers, right? Everybody says that. Uh, he's he's a little later in his career. I think he's going into his ninth year. Um, you know, again, depending on the money, but if you can bring in Frank Clark as a guy that could be 
particularly guys that uh, you can bring in on third downs and maybe not have to play him 75% of the snaps like he did in Kansas City, um, I think he might be a more valuable piece. But he'll, he'll, he'll help somebody. But uh, you know, Frank Clark, I think, to, to his credit in some ways, really a guy that's going to flash and help you in the playoffs. So I, I would expect contending teams to be looking at him. The Jets, they finally get their guy in Aaron Rodgers. It's all worked out. He's bringing in uh, Randall Cobb with him as well. Uh, You know, is this as simple as the Jets have the pieces on the defensive end of the the ball? They were a top-five defense. They had offensive playmakers. They just needed somebody to complete a forward pass and off the Jets go? Or is there a little bit more uh, to this and and what we expect from the Jets this year? I, I think you've largely hit it. I mean, I've likened to the Jets to being a hockey team that played shorthanded all season. You know, the, the other teams on the power play all season where the Jets played with, with 10 guys on offense. Um, literally the worst quarterback played in the league last two years, yet, yet they were 7-4, and four, um, you know, midseason in, in a wild card position. So I, I think, yes, I mean, even an average quarterback probably makes the Jets a playoff team, but I think Aaron Rodgers also brings I, – I mean, his new teammates are already in awe of him. I mean, they're, they're seeing quarterbacks – you know, go, go from terrible to, 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 to play at a historically good level. Um, and I think he's going to bring a culture and, and a swagger and all, all that other stuff to the offense this team hasn't had in a while. Um, and, and by the way, he knows the playbook. He knows the offensive coordinator. He's going to be teaching this, this scheme to, to, to his new teammates. So it's not like he's got to come in uh, and learn it. He's going to come in and teach it. Uh, and he, he sounds very happy. His teammates sound very happy. We'll, we'll see if that sustains itself through the season. But I think, you know, also about as good a start as you could hope. Um, you mentioned the defense. I mean, they get a pass rusher in Will McDowell in the first round, so they're theoretically better there. That's just content. I mean, that, that 12-year playoff drop, longest in the league, you, you would think it's coming to an end this season. Nate Davis, NFL Conversation USA Today right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Staying in that same division, uh, the New England Patriots, they were able to trade down and still get Christian Gonzalez, help the defense here. But by and large, uh, other than bringing in in the offseason tight end Mike Jacecki, they really didn't do a whole lot to bring in some playmakers for Mac Jones. Uh, Then there's all this really non-committal to Mac's our guy. You know, what do we make about everything that's going on in New England right now? Yeah, I mean, I think they kicked the tires on, on DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, obviously that that did happen. Um, I mean, I, I think the big thing for them is bringing bringing back Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator. I mean, I think that was really their biggest mistake last year was not properly addressing that position and, and having too many voices in his head. And, um, you know, not not experienced offensive coaches coaching him. I think Bill O'Brien should solve a lot of that. But, but to your point, you know, the, the weapons aren't necessarily there. I, I thought they would have at least brought in a receiver in the draft. That didn't happen. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's an interesting position where I think this is probably the first time in a, since about 1992 that they have the worst quarterback situation in the division. Not, not as big against Mac Jones, more, more credit to the other guys. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But it's kind of a, it's a bit of a mystery going on up there. Uh after we've gone through the draft, we've gone through the the first big phase of you know the free agency period here. Would you give the clear edge to the Chiefs as being the best team following their Super Bowl win in this offseason in the draft, or uh, would you lean the Eagles as being the like highest power rated team heading into you know offseason conditioning and programs? Well, I, I was I, I'm tempted to put the Eagles uh, num- number one, but. I always kind of pay respect to the champ until until they're knocked off. Um, and, and you know, at, right after the Super Bowl, I was uh, 
you know, had some concern with the Eagles with all the free agents they had. I mean, a lot of those guys are back in the building, um, but they're also breaking in two new coordinators. So, so that's probably going to be a little bit of a, a learning curve there. But given the state of the NFC, you know, given um, all, all the players they added to the draft and, and retained the free agency, uh, and, and just, you know, like, like we kind of discussed before, I mean, I, I think the 49ers are the main challenger, but I, I don't, you know, we'll, we'll see what they are. But, um, you know, barring a major injury, it's hard to see at this point in time who's going to knock them off. I mean, I'm not going to pick Seattle. Um, I don't think you can pick Dallas. I mean, they, they, they seem to be the preemptive favorite in the NFC, whereas the Chiefs are going to have a pretty rough road getting back to the Super Bowl. I mean, you put those two teams together, I'm probably still picking the Chiefs, but, but after the gauntlet the Chiefs have to go through, you know, I, I don't know what kind of team, you know, would get to the end where you think, you think the Eagles would have a little bit of an easier ride. So, um, and then, of course, you know, this is what we talked about today, Matt Kayla. You know, eight, eight, eight months from now, we're going to be talking about the, the Ravens and the Lions or something. I mean, who, who knows? But, you know, at this point in time, it, it kind of it, it looks pretty neck and neck. Yeah, absolutely. We still have plenty of uh, games to be played and uh you know, injuries that are inevitable to take place before we can finally crown a champion for uh, the 2023 season. But Nate, I appreciate you always taking time for us here and uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday. Okay. Thanks so much, Caleb. Once again, he is Nate Davis uh, with USA Today. Thanks for his uh, time on the program today. You know, I, I think it's interesting that he was talking about, uh, you know, the Paris Johnson Jr. in the left tackle position here, because obviously Bob has been talking about it since they drafted him, how he really just doesn't feel like uh, he's he's a left tackle, that he's more of a right tackle. So uh, I guess borrowing a phrase from Jonathan Gannon that we've been hearing multiple times now, we'll have to uh, see how it all unfolds on the grass get him on the grass and see what positions he can play you know I know that trade rumors seem to instantly ignite after the selection of Paris Johnson Jr. for DJ Humphreys but we'll see there's just plenty of holes on that offensive line right so there's a real good opportunity for him to get his teeth into the NFL Kyler Murray's not coming back right away so to kind of get some time developing learning how to play the the offensive line position at the NFL level. We'll have much more extra point coming up next. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. 1041 here on KDUS AM 1060 and as always online at KDUS 1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Thanks to Nate Davis of USA Today for his time on the program. If you missed any of the NFL conversation, you can always podcast over at KDUS1060.com or with the KDUS 1060 app. Uh, so we're, we're, we've been expecting the Pac-12 media rights information to come out late spring, early summer. The timeline continued to shift, and this was the latest update that we had. Uh, well, this week, though, within less than an hour of each other, on May 3rd, two different reports surfaced. And sometimes it can just be kind of a, a matter of semantics, but these two different reports seem to be saying why 
wildly and vastly different things about what the future of Pac-12 media rights has in store. So do we know what to glean from any of this? Uh, According to Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com, his reporting is that ESPN is completely out as the Pac-12 Tier 1 rights holder. Uh, That would be the primary rights for Pac-12 sports. He's saying that there's a possibility that they would be interested in a smaller package and secondary rights. Then, as I mentioned, less than an hour after that, you had both Nicole Arbach from The Athletic as well as Ross Dellinger of SI.com reporting the complete opposite. They're saying that ESPN remains in discussions with Pac-12 for primary rights. Uh Nicole Arbach's reporting, Ross Dellinger's reporting is coming from the meetings here in Scottsdale. Dennis Dodd's reporting is coming from a discussion he had with a Big 12 administrator aware of an exchange between the Pac-12 and the ESPN. Kind of right there maybe tells you where these narratives are coming from, right? That there's... Uh, motive for the Big 12 to say one thing, motive for the Pac-12 to say another thing. All in all, though, uh, you, you have to look at this here and say that without a doubt, USC, UCLA, bolting for the Big 10 has impacted so much in regards to where the direction of these Pac-12 negotiations are going. What's the value of the conference? whether or not other schools are going to stay. We've had those conversations multiple different times, and I'm sure they haven't uh, you know, been settled because of the uncertainty of media rights. Uh, it certainly complicated the negotiation process. And in addition to that, you can have a very real conversation about whether or not the Pac-12 has been a conference that remains ultra competitive in the last couple of years. There hasn't been a Pac-12 representative in the, the college football playoff for a while. I know you had uh, USC, Utah, that whole thing last year. But prior to that, it's been pretty hit or miss. Whereas obviously the Big Ten, obviously the SEC staples in all of that. So value there is obviously important. When the games are played, we can have the conversation about these games being at at 730 at night and how that has the different eyeballs across the country and how that's impacted uh, media rights negotiations. It's also interesting because this is all coming with a new Pac-12 commissioner, George Kaliakoff. And it's been interesting to watch the narrative, the narratives, and how there really hasn't been much control over the narrative. Things have just kind of been running wild as to what's going to happen, what can we expect. I do think, though, that if the Pac-12, like this is really pivotal for them, isn't it? Because I know that we're, we talk about it a lot on this show with the direction of media and the consumption of media and where we're going to be getting our sports from. And you have, you know, ESPN just this week talking about how it's a when, not an if, they're going to be direct to consumer and how they're going to be delivering uh, their star programming to you. 
So there's a major push in the streaming world. We've seen that, obviously, with the NFL taking Thursday night games to Amazon Prime. We've seen that with the uh, new agreement with YouTube TV for NFL Sunday ticket. We're seeing this all over the place that, you know, different things with the Big Ten and NBC and how games are supposed to be on the Peacock Network and and how things will be in a streaming capacity. So is this the time for the Pac-12 to take that leap into the streaming world full force? Or are they leaving a huge chunk of money and opportunity and where things are still currently living in an ESPN world the way that we're accustomed to getting the games and how we are accustomed to consuming the games? Are they ready to be the pioneers? This almost feels like uh, this is going to be the the pivotal moment about what happens in the world of, of college sports and what happens to the world of the Pac-12 conference. This decision alone, is this Pac-12 conference you know, going to be a Pac-12 conference in five years or will they be disbanded and teams have, will have found other conferences moving forward based upon this one decision and one decision alone? Uh, so obviously... There's a lot at play here. ESPN itself, we know that they're trying to to make certain cutbacks here, but there's still major players in, obviously, their play-by-play content. They'll have NBA rights negotiations coming up here shortly. Uh, So what's important to them? What do they value? They still need to find something to put on the airwaves at 7.30 at night on a Saturday. So... What's going to, you know, at this point, does it also come down to how much is ESPN willing to pay? Does the Pac-12 want to take that much of a quote unquote pay cut? So there's just a lot that goes into all of this. But I do think that while the streaming initiative is there, I still think that we need uh, that the Pac-12 needs the brand of ESPN to be delivering their games, that the conversations of, oh, this is going exclusively to Apple TV would be a mistake. I'm curious to see whose reporting is right. Is ESPN completely out of primary TV rights? Is ESPN still in in primary TV rights? Thought it was fascinating, though, that the information come out vastly different within one hour of each other and like i said this is a huge huge decision for george kleokoff and i think the future of the pac-12 conference the pga tour they're at the wells fargo championship at quail hollow how are our guys doing we'll take a look at that on the other side of the break it is the extra point right here on kdus am 1060 online at kdus 1060.com and with the kdus 1060 app powered by superbook sports Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com.
wrapping up hour number one on this Friday, May 5th. Kayla Mortolaro with you. Bob Kemp on a scheduled day off. Expected to be back on Monday. Up with you until noon as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It's a Friday spread uh, brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Check them out at 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. The weekend specials here for you. Eight ounce average butcher's blend steak skewers at two for $15. Prime pork back ribs at $6.99 a pound and the jumbo fresh party style cut chicken wings at $4.99 a pound. Of course, we'll still have the $100 gift certificate to Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, but not quite yet. A look here at the Wells Fargo Championship PGA Tour uh, from Quail Hollow Golf Club. It's a... It's a monster of a golf course, and so a couple of names that might be a little surprising sitting atop the leaderboard. We have uh, done for the day, Tyrrell Hatton, 8-under par, Nate Lashley, 8-under par, Wyndham Clark at 8-under par. Tyrrell Hatton, he's been playing some pretty good golf, uh, and then he had that thumb that became a bit of an issue at the match play event at Austin Country Club, and we didn't kind of hear a little bit about him, but he's back and he's playing well here. Xander Shoffley as well. 66 yesterday, shot two under par today. He's in a tie for fourth at seven under par. And now here's a guy that has had plenty of success at this golf course. He won his PGA Championship at Quail Hollow back in 2017. That's Justin Thomas. He's looking for some good vibes to be able to kind of turn back turn back into the Justin Thomas that we expect him to be. It, it really seems as though this season, his putter has let him down tremendously, and it has... Uh, worked its way, weaseled its way into the rest of his game. He's really an elite iron player, and we haven't really seen that elite play for a little while now, and it feels like it's mentally kind of been frustrating him a bit. He's taken some time off here, and now he's playing well heading into the weekend with a 68-67. He's in a tie for fourth at seven under par. Adam Scott as well playing well. He's also in uh, uh, tied for fourth at seven under par. So when it comes to our guy, Patrick Cantlay, uh, he did well yesterday, four under par, and now he's two over through four today, so he's going in the wrong direction, so he's going to have to turn that around as we're looking for some good vibes with him and Joe LaCava. Then we also had our guy Victor Hovland. He uh, steady as it goes, uh, shot even par yesterday, two under par today. That's good enough for a tie for 28th. Ricky Fowler, he played well today, uh, shot three under par, and that's good for tied for 22nd at the moment heading into the weekend. Rory McIlroy, who has plenty of success. It was his 34th birthday yesterday. He uh, is one under par through four holes so far. Our other guy, Jason Day, he's one under par through four. And it looks like now the projected cut is going to be even par. So we'll see how conditions continue, whether or not the cut will move to one under par or if it will stay here at even par. Uh, so once again, it is a designated event on the PGA Tour for uh, the Wells Fargo Championship. Now, in a couple of weeks time, I have a really cool story that I want to share here. So in a couple of weeks time, it'll be the second major of the year, the PGA Championship. It'll be taking place from Oak Hill, which 
I think that's going to be an incredible, grueling test of golf. If I think that this golf course is playing long uh, at 7,400 yards, this golf course at Oak Hill is going to be playing even longer. Also, the weather that the Rochester area has been experiencing uh, certainly is going to be playing a factor into who probably can contend for this major championship. It's going to be eliminating like half the field right away. But the cool thing here is with the PGA championship, it's put on by the PGA of America. So that's the golf teachers, the local pros at your golf course. That's the group of men and women that put on this golf tournament. So there's an opportunity for PGA pros to qualify for this event. They do it every year. And the cool part about all of this here is that uh, former Vandal golfer Russell Grove, he shot a final round 66 this week to qualify for the PGA Championship. So that's really cool. It's a great day to be a Vandal here on this Friday. So congratulations there to Russell Grove going to be playing in his uh, Uh, PGA Championship debut in a couple of weeks time. Hour two is coming up next on the other side of the break. Kentucky Derby conversation, Phoenix Suns conversation. It's a game three. Can they win against the Nuggets? We'll get into all of that here on KDOS AM 1060.